1: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media Commentary Columnist and American Enterprise Institute Fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor and Author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. gave a speech last night. Very oddly, he traveled to Union Station in Washington, which is a very grand uh, building, uh, you know, neoclassical building, uh, gave a nationally televised address, but they put flags and stuff up, and it was as though he was talking in a hallway in the White House. Like, why he traveled... He had an audience, but the audience was silent until the very end when it kind of applauded a little bit. Very strange staging of the speech. Because Although it, not- because
0: he was giving a speech, I'm going to butt in to say uh, someone who lives in D.C. and has to travel out of that yeah. station a lot. It, it, we There was a huge and rather uh, messy and drug infested and, and crime ridden homeless encampment at Columbus Circle right outside the Union Station for a long time. That was cleared last week suspiciously, like so suddenly they cleared them all out. And it it became clear it's for the optics of a president giving a speech there. But it is a grand building. It is it is a deteriorating public space. It has been for some time. It's full of, you know, a lot of there's it's very crime ridden lately. It's very dirty. A lot of storefronts have closed the Starbucks that was there closed because of crime. So it's actually a perfect, perfect symbol of a lot of what democratic policy will bring you. So I kind of like that he gave the speech there.
1: It's also a perfect symbol of the uh, incompetence of the white house that they decided to choose this picturesque setting. And then they covered it up with like a blue terror, with a, with a blue background. Uh, It it, very, very strange staging that suited a very bad speech. And when I say bad, I I had
2: wondered by the way in terms of the staging of, if it was just a matter of them trying to run in the opposite direction from the red glow speech, right? Like just tone Uh everything down, turn this into like, you know, a room and a curtain. But you
1: could have done that without going to a venue, (laughs) you know, an exterior location. If you're not using the location, it's very odd why you wouldn't just give it. There are many places on the white in the White House complex, that you could have set up exactly the same. Well, if you remember, visual. one of the
3: criticisms of Biden's first, you know, the Kilo Ren speech was that it was a presidential speech, it was billed as a presidential speech, a presidential event. They sang, you know, they had the hail to the chief and all the trappings of the office, and it was a political speech, campaign speech. And that was something of a violation of the Hatch Act, I guess.
1: <laughs> I don't know, right? But by right. the way, this, it although, was the only one they again, to avoid. right? But again, this actually. I think it's fair to say this was not a campaign speech in its text or the way that it was the sort of the the larger conception of it, though it was, of course, anything the president says is campaign related, particularly with the election coming. But as we'll talk about, it was more an excuse for something than it was an effort to kind of like change the dynamics of the coming Election. Anyway, we're we're sort of circling around just the the oddity of this because if you needed to have something that wasn't red but was blue and wasn't like a presidential speech, but was more you know was whatever you could have done it literally in a hallway, of of the West Wing, you know, or you could have done it in the Roosevelt Room, moved the table out and put the same blue background there without cost it's or that
0: weird fake studio they have across the street that's supposed to you know that weird surreal uh, with the fake windows that look out on a fake rose garden that they've been using it's very strange
1: yeah anyway so whatever none of that matters except that when when things are going wrong in political organizations they do kind of often do dumbfounding things that are narratively symbolic like they if if they were you would say yeah that, that's too perfect it's like something out of a novel like it rains when you're trying to do something happy that kind of thing but that actually happens in political organizations when things go wrong you know sort of weird mistakes are made and blunders and incompetencies are shown and I think that was on display last night in 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 the in the staging of this event including even just bringing up the weird fact of union stations decline and having sort of a a secondary conversation about the urban decay that is being caused by blue state rule in dc as evidenced by this magnificent station that was renovated and resuscitated in the late 1980s early 1990s and was like a, a hopping center of fun and spirit for you know 10 or 15 years and then just started to fall apart and nobody stopped it anyway okay so let's talk about the speech itself um democracy is under threat right that was the theme democracy is under threat Uh, election deniers are running all over the place no one's stopping them Uh, paul pelosi was attacked with a hammer in his house and he's a friend of biden's for all we know, Biden has ever met Paul Pelosi. In fact, it's one of those things where they're very close. Yeah. Okay. Well, show me a you know, like she's in Washington, he's in San Francisco. I don't know what, what, what you know, so Biden's always claiming to be everybody's friend, but okay. So uh, it doesn't matter. So Paul Pelosi's attacked. It's horrible. Um, and it's Donald Trump's fault and the election deniers are Donald Trump's fault. And, uh, this is terrible, and we all need to commit ourselves, recommit ourselves to the – every generation has to save democracy from bad guys, and now this, this is our task, and this is our mission. All right, so framing. The framing is, you know, <clears throat> arguable, but it's not out of the realm of a normal standard conversation. Uh, right? No. it you- Yes. Well, okay. I had mixed – I have very mixed feelings
3: on this one. This offended me in a visceral way less, honestly. Than the first, the September first speech, and it wasn't the optics at all. That was such an ultra na- mega
0: mega speech, yes. a naked
3: pursuit of political advantage, using the the trappings of the presidency, festooned with all this, uh, you know, national pageantry, and 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 how it was such an obviously a campaign speech, talking up the legislative accomplishments of Democrats. That really offended me on a on a level. This did not. It was tonally more appropriate. It was absolutely grotesque. Let me be very pl- clear there, grotesque to draw a straight line, as the president did from January 6th to the uh, actions of a deranged, paranoid schizophrenic who thought he was Jesus. The notion here that there is any equivalency there is is a misleading, intellectually dishonest and be just an, an obvious effort to secure political advantage from bloodshed, waving, a, literally waving a bloody tunic without not literally figuratively waving a bloody tunic um and it it was it's really abhorrent uh, and the president and everybody around him should be ashamed by that attempt however it is kind of valuable to say look it takes a long time to count votes because some people are confused about that it is kind of valuable for the president to address the threats to democracy because people do really do care about threats to democracy on both sides of the aisle they mean different things about that but it's not entirely outside the realm of the president to address that. It is the extent to which he's trying to secure political advantage from it that is obviously grotesque and atonal because it's not what the president should be talking about right now from a political perspective. It's what he wants to talk about. The amount of John Meacham in that speech was really oleaginous. It was just kind of um, uh, off-putting in a way that I can, that's hard for me to put my hands on it, but like just trying to appropriate for yourself the mystique of American democracy in a very partisan way um, it cheapens it and cheapens the threat. And I don't think they know that's what they're doing, but that is what they're doing by making it partisan because he's so vague about it. Like, who who are the threats to democracy? Who is orchestrating this campaign? And he can't put his finger on it because he can't really say because it's not manifesting in 2022. He's saying, oh, you know, there's so much there's voter suppression. Voter suppression is really terrible. And also record numbers of people have voted.
2: OK, wow. so, so it, can, I, can <coughs> I just say something your about your own the, logic, yeah, Abe, so Abe, go ahead. I want to say something about the, the framing that, that Noah's talking about. Um, I think Republicans could have held the speech and said. Speaker Pelosi's husband was attacked in his home by a maniac. Uh, this goes to show that the Democrats approach to crime is a national disaster, an emergency, this coming election, uh, uh, do what's right, keep your home safe, secure your cities. And they would have been, uh, it still would have been disgusting. They would have been on firmer moral and logical ground than Biden was last night in drawing this line connecting the attack on Paul Pelosi to January.
3: Isn't that Joe Biden's implicit message here that the GOP is weaponizing schizophrenics and unleashing them on old and poor unsuspecting elderly?
0: and that's why the partisanship is is the important point that that Noah is making, and that Abe, I think you're right too. This is the, this idea, and this is actually really disheartening as as someone in the vast middle, which I think most Americans rest on this question of democracy and is it in peril. People are worried about the decline of trust in institutions, about the chaos. They they didn't like January six. All of these things are true, but we are not most of us rabid partisans. So what that means is that when someone like the president of the United States makes the issue of democracy, hyper-partisan, the same way the Democrats have made, say, the issue of disinformation, hyper-partisan, People do one of two things. They become more radicalized and listen to the other side because they're like, that's ridiculous because both sides are doing versions of this or they tune out. And I think with this issue of democracy and certainly with the issue of election denial, they have no standing. Abe's right. There's no moral ground for Democrats to say that they are the party that doesn't allow for election denialism because we know they have. They did it with Hillary Clinton. They did it with Stacey Abrams.
1: Okay. Very important point. I want to do, I want to read some quotes off to you guys um surfaced last night um of election denial uh one quote from april 2nd 2020 quote reminder brian kemp stole the gubernatorial election from georgians and Stacey abrams okay um December 17th, 2016. Stolen emails, stolen drone, stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. Those two things, one said in 2016, one said in 2020, spoken by Corrine Jean Pierre, the current White House press secretary. Election denial in the presidential election in 2016, election denial. Of the gubernatorial election in 2018. She is the White House Press Secretary. Don't give us lectures about how this is a Republican problem. You cannot cite the single most important spokesman in the country. You cannot say that this is happening and is a problem only in one area when you have the most important spokesman in the country as a representative figure who then says Quote, yesterday, excuse me, or uh, uh, yesterday, democracy is under assault and we cannot pretend otherwise. mega mega Republicans do not believe in the rule of law. They refuse to accept the results of elections and they fan the flames of political violence. This is the same person who two years ago said Brian Kemp stole the election from Georgia and Georgians. Brian Kemp won by 55,000 votes. Nobody has ever stolen an election with 55,000 votes. You have to create an entire theory that voter suppression combined with Jim, you know, pre-existing Jim Crow. Who said that what went on in Georgia was Jim Crow 2.0? The president of the United States. Who said that he wasn't
3: prepared to say the election was this election, 2022, would be legitimate in the absence of the reforms that Democrats sought, which I think was a reference to HR one, which never happened. So yeah, HR1 was the voting rights bill that the uh that patently the Congress... unconstitutional constitutional nationalizing of elections and criminalizing yeah. of free speech right. and only right. then would
1: our elections right. be free and fair. I look, I I'm only what abouting this because they they asked for it. Like I you know, we're just sitting here going about our merry way and then the president, you know, goes to Union Station with an ugly blue backdrop. And gives a speech and you have to react to the text. And and
0: none of, of us would be media. mad. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I would not be mad if he had been specific about who he was indicting. If he'd said, look, Donald Trump and his supporters continue to say the election was stolen from him and that's wrong. It undermines trust. And, you know, and he didn't even have to flag the fact that people on his own side have been doing this for years. But he made he went wide with it, as we say. He's like it's like when you get in an argument, someone suddenly bringing up everything you've ever done wrong. You're like, oh, no, they're going wide. He's going to go wide. It's partisan. It's terrible. And can I just add, there's one other interesting little thing that happened yesterday. So we were we were uh, at towards the end of the podcast yesterday. I think we talked about a tweet that the White House put out about Social Security and about the cost of living increase and boasting about it. So what something interesting happened on social media. People went on Twitter and they they did a correction to that. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, were prohibited by
3: law. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Tweet. So readers added context that said seniors will receive a large Social Security benefit due to the increase due to the annual cost of living adjustment. And so this is something Twitter allows uh, people, users to do. And the White House deleted its tweet. I thought that was really interesting because they realized that the public response to their claim, their completely partisan, ridiculous, patently ridiculous claim about inflation and Social Security, was was they were caught out, so they deleted it. I just I thought that was like they are making a lot of these little. That was a little mistake. Last night's speech, it was also a mistake. But it, there's a cumulative effect here. I think. Okay, the so the
3: President Harris did say was, that in a speech too, that he yes. took credit for this. Yeah, so yeah, that'll live on um, forever. He
0: hasn't figured this out. But his Social Hillary, media
1: team did. Hillary Clinton went on Kara Swisher's podcast in 2020 and said there is an air of illegitimacy that surrounds Trump's presidency. I was the candidate that they basically stole an election from. So, again, don't tell me that this is an exclusively Republican problem. I have just quoted to you the White House press spokesman and the former candidate for president of the United States on the Democratic banner saying the 2016 election was stolen and the 2018 gubernatorial election in Georgia. Was stolen. So in 2020, Donald Trump says the election was stolen. What's the well, difference? Well, I
3: think there's, it's fair to say, and I, okay, I think everybody agrees, please. but there is asymmetry here. Um, what we witnessed in December and January of 2020, 2021 was unprecedented. And it does not have a parallel on the okay. Democratic Party side. And That's Joe Biden terrific. alluded, not directly, but should have been more specific, alluded to a candidate who's running for secretary of state in Arizona, who is about as maniacal as you can get a nefarious figure who does not seem inclined to certify election results that do not uh, fall in the Republican direction. He's a, he's a bad dude. Yeah. And there is no rough equivalent on the democratic side. Uh, There might be because they're laying the groundwork. They're prepping the beaches for this exact mentality to take, take hold on the left. And indeed secretary, uh, weaponizing secretary of state's offices is uh, a project uh, that George Soros engaged in and Republicans noticed and copied it, the Secretary of State project back in the aughts. Nevertheless, it has manifested on the right in ways that are far more acutely menacing than on the Democratic side, I'll admit that.
1: No, um, I, so I, do
2: I, go ahead, Abe, sorry, go ahead. I, I may even object to that in in, in this sense um there's an analog on the left in in terms of uh uh riders attacking federal buildings uh all summer long in, during 2020 uh and being excused for doing so at the highest level i am not into whataboutism i right. of course i acknowledge all the terribles on our yeah. side that we acknowledge um but there is that and by the way i I think it's important to talk about both sides here, not just to say they're not playing fair, because if you really care about the, quote, threat to our democracy, the threat is this broad manifested distrust across the spectrum of our system and our processes and 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 the and the constitutional structure. And that and the is Dem- on both sides. And that right. is that is a legitimate problem. It is mucking up our politics right. across the board.
0: And the right. Democrats funded a lot of those crazy candidates. I just it, it's important to yeah, say that it, to yeah. remind that. Well, yeah. let's
2: we'll see what we'll see.
1: We'll see where that uh, discussion point goes next week.
0: What those well, candidates I, win. win, right?
1: Because we're going <laughs> to yes. see what what the results are going to be. But let's talk about election denialism at, you know, that it's not just practical in the sense that you have people running for office who are election deniers. Now, first of all, they're election deniers of one election. Now I'm not defending them. They're wrong. uh, Biden won, Trump lost. They're either idiots or knaves and they, they, they make me cringe. Um, We don't have evidence that what they're going to do is just deny all elections everywhere and every time. That's actually not necessarily going to be the case. It could be the case. And then, you know, they will come under, you know, very hard assault. And they don't also have discretion. I mean, a lot of the things that they might try to want to get and gum up the works can't be gummed up so easily because these procedures are not just sort of decided incepted uh, in the brain of a Secretary of State like there are vote counting procedures that are you know enshrined in law and state law and local law um they're supposed to be law they're not but you know the states set the place manner and times of uh, of elections and all kinds of things okay so that's one thing so they're election deniers and they're terrible but election denial is a feature of american democracy and democracies in general like that is something people say i was robbed they stole the election from me what could i do blah 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 blah. and often by the way it was true you know i mean you know dead people voted in chicago all that stuff like that's to say that there isn't a history of electoral fraud in the united states which is now this weird thing where democrats and liberals say there is no election fraud I mean, when we know that for, you know, we know that urban machines did nothing but produce election fraud for, you know, for a century. But until those elections
0: they... went their way, so it's not fraudulent. Right. I know. Okay.
1: <laughs> but election denial takes many forms. We've talked about this before. You know, uh, we have a system of electing a president of the United States. Here's how it works. People vote. The vote count is statewide. Uh, the state uh, uh, you know, electoral. Uh, you know, uh, the electors are voted are essentially created uh, at the state level by election results, and the electors then go in the electoral college and they pick the president. We do not pick the president directly. The United States under the Constitution, the the individual voter is not the direct. You know, so we don't have a national election. We have a fifty state election. The person who wins the popular vote in all but i think three cases uh, or four cases in american history uh the person who wins the popular vote has won the electoral college but it's not enough but in 10% of the cases it hasn't happened and that's not a necessary adjunct of our of our laws we don't have direct elections for the presidency so once it appeared that you know Al Gore. Once Al Gore got five hundred thousand more votes than George uh, W. Bush did in in you know nationally, that and then Trump in twenty sixteen, uh, getting three million fewer votes than Hillary. We have this assault on the electoral college. We need to get rid of the ele- the electoral college. We do not have a democracy in this country because of the electoral college. We we've, we've never had a one man one vote system to elect president. It's that that is that is, so to say that presidents are illegitimate because they were not elected by the national popular vote is a form of election denial. That is what Hillary Clinton was saying when she said they stole the election from me, because I got more votes than he did. I mean, and so. There's that, and then of course there is the Stacey Abrams line, which is that systemic, the structure of American society itself means that people lose elections who would otherwise win them. Right? That's Stacey Abrams's argument. That was the Jim Crow 2.0 argument that Biden made. That unless the laws are changed in Georgia electorally, uh, you know, um, systemic racism means that elections are not fair. That is election denial.
0: But the the other interesting thing though about what he was saying last night and 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 not not you know acknowledging any of that is that he was linking it much more forcefully because of the Pelosi situation to political violence, and this also bothered me because I think to Abe's earlier point, like this, there are broader uh, problems afoot in our republic in terms of you know polit- people's uh, resorting to political political violence, thinking that's a, a legitimate way to do things. Um, and just just yesterday, I think it was just yesterday, a GOP candidate for governor of Illinois, a guy threatened to skin him alive and feed his family to him and was, you know, authorities tracked this guy down. And he was like, it's great. I put his whole family on lockdown. They can't leave their house. They they should feel afraid. OK, so that's political violence from the left side of the aisle directed towards someone on the right. We've seen, you know, with with Pelosi, a kind of uh, mentally unstable man directing violence. At- it's happening too much on both sides. This is where I will sound what because there's a culture right now, of violence, and I do think January six uh, was was like throwing lighter fluid on that on that kind of simmering sort of anger and violent uh, uh, tendency. So that, but that there was a precursor, in as Abe said, in some of the rioting of the previous but summer, that so is
2: righteous making... violence
0: is not ever righteous. So the idea that we can we can pick and choose among violent groups of people and right. violent mobs and and politically motivated uh, violent folks is not legit. Which it's always wrong. It's always wrong. Should always be condemned. But listen that the, you're you're making an
1: important point that I want to make explicit which is that the rise in political violence in the United States predates January 6th by yes. by okay so there was as I said last week you know we were we lived through a period of political assassination Kennedy George Wallace you know JFK RFK George Wallace uh, Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, every single, you know, uh the two Kennedys were killed, Reagan was nearly killed, Our, uh George Wallace was uh paralyzed and Ford had two assassination attempts against him in 17 days. And the Kennedy, uh, the excuse me, the Reagan assassination accompanied I don't know how how long afterwards, a couple of weeks afterwards by the by the near assassination of pope john paul ii for some reason the period the assassination era came to an end it it stopped now the secret service got a lot better all of that stuff but the assassination period came to an end and then it start it started to come back right gabby giffords was shot by a schizophrenic um and then we had political violence start on the rise, and we have I, in a column I have in the New York Post today. I, I specify I say, Trump said, "Go beat up that protester at, at two different rallies, one in 2015, one in 2016." Right? He said, "If you beat be, be, beat the hell out of them, knock the hell out of them, I'll pay your I'll pay for your trial from the stage of his rally." Right? So that was one thing. Noah wrote a piece for commentary in 2017 about the political violence during the 2016 election, a lot of which was from the left, particularly around San Jose, California. And then we have, you know, this the shoot up of the congressional softball game and you know, I there are other and then if, now 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 Paul Pelosi What all these things have in common is political violence. What they do not have in common is election denial. They are not about election denial. They are about something diseased going on in our politics of which election denial may form a part
0: but also it, it and, and again, like there was also Don Boldick, who's running for, for yes. uh, I think for the House in New Hampshire. He was the guy tried to take a swing at him as he was going yeah. into to a debate this week. Yeah, Lee Since Zeldin, Pelosi, Lee Zeldin t- was
1: attacked. Lee yeah, was Zeld- attacked like, on a stage. Or you we, know, was like yes. like Salmon Rushdie. With a pet yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean he, the, the, they didn't get
1: to him, but they got to Salmon Rush.
0: Right. So these, these attempted attacks from the left against right uh, against people on the right are never get the the, the longevity in play. I mean, thank God they, they are usually uh, thwarted. In the case of Paul Pelosi, it was not thwarted. But and in the case of some of these attacks, I think they are mentally unstable people as well. But you no, don't, the narrative doesn't. I suit mean, it. it
3: is a very different character than it was in the 1960s. We're not talking about the 1970s, too. We're not talking about the Symbionese Liberation Army here. We're talking about people who are mentally disturbed.
1: Who no, are but they were all but, but, individuals. I mean, right, right. So
3: I'm uh, not talking about a coherent yeah. political group as much as right. I mean, the Weather Underground had a manifesto and they were right. they were sa- sane, sober people. Oh, you know, in I didn't,
0: these are radicalized lone wolf yeah.
1: type. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't mention, by the way, John Lennon, which, you know, who was uh, effectively assassinated. And that was again, that, that was more in the kind of disordered thing, right? Because he was assassinated Same by a guy who was obsessed with Catcher in the Rye. And yeah, and John Hickley, who- So that was, it just evolved into
3: individual mania rather than coherent acts of terrorist violence with a political objective in mind.
1: Right. But I just think it's really important to point out that January 6th is sui generis. And then the effort to make it larger is understandable politically, and, and there's some grounds to it, but- tying it to an individual assassination attempt or whatever act of political violence against you know Nancy Pelosi the guy said he wanted to break her kneecaps that's horrible like this is and you know that is where we start getting into are we like becoming a banana republic where people attack you know sort of like relatively i mean she's not an obscure politician but she's not the president whatever and january 6th was 800 people stormed the Capitol building and started wandering around looking for monsters to slay like that is not the same everything is not the same thing and just because the targets in these cases the target the target wasn't even Democrats January 6th target was rep- okay round two name something
2: that's not boring
0: a laundry oh a book club
3: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Group. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Republicans. They were trying to get Mike. They weren't trying to. I mean, someone was going, where's Nancy? But their target was Mike Pence. Republican. Just the Republican who wasn't doing what they wanted him to. There's a fundamentally different character
3: between the the violence of January 6th and the violence Abe was talking about in in the in 2020, which is mob violence, so the reptilian brain that overtakes you in a, in a crowd with a mission, and individual acts of violence that are premeditated, even if they're meditated by, or, or inspired by psychosis. They're just fundamentally different. And to blur that distinction is
1: irresponsible and dangerous. Um all right so let now let's talk about the uh, the performance or the text of the speech and the performance of the speech because what struck me and again this is sort of the theme of my column in the New York Post today is that Biden is spent. I mean we talked yesterday about the you know the incredible series of you know sort of like uh, bizarre senile like statements uh, in his, this day in Florida which I guess was Tuesday um but This was something else. So he is giving this speech, the purpose of which is to rally the forces of democracy, or maybe implicitly rally Democrats, the idea or rally, you know, unenthusiastic Democrats, the idea that their vote will have very important meaning if they go to the polls next week, because they can strike a blow against this terrible threat to our country. But he was somnolent. I mean, he was dead in the eyes and tired and there was no energy whatsoever
2: in the speech. Between his performance and the strange setting that we described it was like watching the Biden animatronic, his own animatronic robot at the Disney Hall of Presidents. the Hall of
0: Presidents. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, it I, that I think the Hall of Presidents, robot would have president. been, the Hall of President robot would have had more
1: energy than than Biden. He, he,
2: he is at the point now where he will necessarily hurt any cause that he opens his mouth to defend. And it's not it's not it's, it is a combination of the lifelessness that is real, the incoherence and the insincerity. I mean, uh, he, he's, he's really he's kind of like he, there. There's, there's nothing left in the trust bank here.
3: That's the worst part of it, just by virtue of the negative partisanship of our of our environment, is that it just makes the, the Republican Party's madness that much more difficult to extirpate. And I, I think about writing about this as I really I, see, I foresee the conditions in which Republicans retake the Congress and they do exactly what Democrats did in this Congress. They are beholden to conspiracy theories, just as the Democratic Party was beholden to conspiracy theories. They entered office with this idea that Donald Trump had somehow made this, the virus infinitely worse than it was and only competent managerial uh, approach to it would extirpate it from our, from, from, and it was just a, a nonsense idea. And also that the United States had been involved in a generations long conspiracy against its minority populations. And we need some sort of dramatic intervention, reorient the social contract in order to change all that, which was not what they were elected to do. Well, they were elected to not be Donald Trump, and Republicans will have a mandate to do a lot less, not more, not different, less. Stop government from doing what it's been doing for these last two years. And I fear that they are going to come in there full of piss and vinegar, and energized and enthused, and beholden to paranoid theories about how they've been a, a, how they've been uh, persecuted and subjugated by Democrats, and they'll be very active in the pursuit of vengeance, and it'll just make everything worse.
0: But this this is where the, the rhetoric actually matters, right? Because they they would not be wrong to feel like they have been unfairly demonized as a party just as many Republican voters feel unfairly demonized by the actions of you know rogue crazy people and you know the dummies who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. but this is where the the tarring of an entire half of the country by Joe Biden has happened. It happened with the with the you know uh, dark Brandon speech and it, in Philadelphia, and it, there were versions of it in this speech, even though he wasn't very energetic. And this is where, like, I listening to him last night, I just thought. Can't we just be like, it's a midterm, you know, someone's going to get the Democrats are going to get spanked because the economy's bad. It's just a midterm election. You know, you win some, you lose some, you move on. But everything is so apocalyptic, the rhetoric on both sides. And this is where Noah's right. Like if it's feeding on itself, this idea that we must completely demonize our opponents and we have to take drastic action. No, just do your job. Just govern. Just govern. Get off Twitter and govern. That's what the American people want. And when they look at their grocery bills and their gas bills and they look at crime in their neighborhoods, they're like, just fix what isn't working. Just fix it. And it's so,
1: yeah. you know. So we've been talking about precriminations, right, that the that the Democrats are already sort of like starting to try to account for what's about to happen to them and I, I view this as a version of precriminations because uh, as we're talking about about what's gonna happen when Republicans take charge in, in in the Congress, if indeed they win both houses, they will almost I mean it's it's extraordinarily unlikely that they will not have you know control of the House. And it's increasingly likely they will have control of the Senate. So they could have both. Uh and so here's my precrimination. Noah has the, you know, they're they're just gonna do twice there have been these bonanza midterm elections for republicans 20 uh, 1994 when they won the house and the senate and won the house for the first time in 40 years and 2010 when they won 63 seats against obama and uh you know it, you know just sort of changed the entire it ended the obama presidency's activist phase um and in both those cases they did not know what to do when they when they got into power and wildly bungled the opportunity that they had the republic of the gingrich revolution gingrich did not know how to be speaker he did not know how to how to deal with uh you know the legislative challenges or how to handle clinton or anything like that and he helped revive clinton's political life by his missteps and blunders and clinton won you know basically won by who had won by had 43% in 1992 got 49% in 1996 and was sort of off to the races. Uh and in 2010 2011 the Republicans shut the you know remember the sort of the whole debt ceiling voted to not raise the debt ceiling, all, all kinds of stuff they and then Obama got re- reasonably in the end reasonably easily reelected. We're looking at 2023 and Republicans have every reason to look at these past two experiences and say what did we do wrong then? that we can repair and I think Christine says it perfectly which is they didn't sit they're not sending you to Washington to not govern they may be sending you to Washington to stop Biden and the democrats from from doing any more which is really what 2010 was about but they didn't send you there to not govern they didn't send you there to close the government down they didn't send you there to create constant showdowns uh, with, they want you to run it better than Biden and the Democrats have been running it. Figure out how to run it better, but that is not in the Republican wheelhouse in general, and it is really not in the in the current Republican Party's wheelhouse, which is performative and confrontational and ad hominem and all of that. And so, this is this is a conversation I wanted to have next week, but we're having it we're having it now, which is fine. Um, but, you know, they they better get their acts together because there is an enormous opportunity here to reset the political table in the United States. History tells you that they're not going to be able to do well they've it, written so. a lot of checks. They're not going to be able to cash. <laughs> Education is a local issue.
3: Crime is a local issue. It's not a federal issue. Abortion is a local issue, according to Republicans. Lindsey Graham, notwithstanding. Uh, and what are Republicans in Congress going to be able to li- deliver there? Not much that can dedicate funding. And they can they not dedicate funding. They could tether funding to certain conditions, which I don't think would be a terrible idea in certain cases. But that's about it. And if they, have, if they set the table in ways that they can't meet, then the instinct is going to be, yeah, to be much more performative, much more confrontational. And the backstop of the presidency is going to make that a lot easier on them because they can do a lot of things that they really know are
1: consequence-free. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's all kind of, as I say, a lot of this was uh, taking advantage or, you know, using opportunities. 2011 followed the exact pattern of 1995. Gingrich shut the government down and effectively destroyed, you know, the Republican advantage in the United States because it turned out, and by the way, I was as guilty of this as anyone. A lot of people on the right at the time were excited by the, pro. it's like people hate government. They're going to see they can do without it. They they finally, someone is going to do something about runaway government. It was the dumbest thing I ever thought. It was the dumbest thing that people on the right ever thought. The difference between me and them is that they then, I, I, the minute that the, that the, that the debt ceiling stuff started happening in 2011 and the government shut down, you know, sort of like, anyway, that kind of talk, like, I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, what are you crazy? Like, we already we ran this play and you know got sacked for a 30 yard loss don't run the play now and they did anyway and so the question is what's what's the likelier given human nature and the what what we see is it likely that they're going to go oh, you know, we're not going to Kevin McCarthy's going to sit there and go, we are not going to do that. We're not. We looked twice already and we're not doing it again. And I'm going to show you how we're going to do it. Or is it like, yeah, we're not going to just write Biden a blank check on Ukraine. You know,
2: that that's I mean, what it is.
1: Yeah, right. We're not just going to write him a blank. And that's fine, by the way, they, they're, they, they will have oversight responsibilities. So you write. In the you know, in the framing of how you pass future support for you, whatever you want to do, you provide greater levels and greater degrees of oversight. That's fine. That's what the house is supposed to do. It's the it's it, it is the spending arm of the government. So, but they're gonna do more than that, I think. Anyway, that's so, but I want to get back. One thing I wanted to mention is that I was listening to a uh, very fun podcast, Hacks on Tap, that's Mike Murphy, David Axelrod, and Robert Gibbs have this, you know, bipartisan po- podcast, political professionals talking about what's going on. And they played a clip from a Barack Obama appearing in Michigan on behalf of Gretchen Whitmer and the, you know, candidacies in Michigan. The whole thing was like, all right, well, Obama went out, the, you know, they they, had, they sent Obama out to rally the troops, you know, because who, who better? And the first thing I thought, which no one said, because, of course, Gibbs and Gibbs and Axelrod are Obama people and worked in the Obama White House, is Obama was a disastrous figure in the two midterm elections over which he presided as president in 2010 and 2014. They lost 63 seats in the House in 2010, and they lost nine seats in the Senate in 2014. He was a net negative he was a genius at getting himself elected, and he was a disaster for anybody else, as no and I detailed in the piece we wrote after 2016. 1, nearly 1,100 uh, uh, federal, state, and local uh, offices held by Democrats in 28 were held by Republicans by 2017. That was Obama's legacy. So boy, this is the best. Oh, and by the way, look <laughs> yeah. around now. Nobody yeah, it's even ever, worse. They
3: would love to Jefferson Joe Biden into
1: space yeah. if they could. Right. And who's coming up behind him? No one. Right. So, but the thing is, so they sent Obama out. So Obama has this terrible record. And then Obama says, They're talking about elections. He, he goes into that weird thing where he starts sounding like he's, I don't know, you know, uh, not a kid from hawaii let's just say uh, you know which is what he is but he, st- he starts in this kind of singsong just call song, it an however. adopted
0: cadence of speech yes he does yeah, so
1: right so and you know it's like they're talking about elections now they're talking about you know Im- impeaching joe biden they're going to impeach joe biden they don't even know what for what are they going to do it for hey michigan how does that help you and i thought two things number one, one number one you don't want to ask what's helping people right now, because that's a bad, that's a bad message for Democrats to be carrying around saying vote for somebody who can help you. Because that's what this election is about. Biden and the Democrats have been in charge. And everything is worse.
0: Well, and just to interrupt, that's exactly why they're doing the democracy message. I right. think they thought, because you heard early early on in this election cycle, a lot of uh, sort of high up Democrats saying things like, well, what's the Republicans' plan? Yeah, I mean, they would sort of tacitly acknowledge inflation, gas prices, all this of crime. Okay, but do the Republicans even have a plan? And that's not, you've said this many times, John, but it's true. That's not how voters think. Voters think, these are the guys in charge. This is the mess we're in. I'm going to vote for the other guy or the other gal. And that is where I think they saw that that message had no traction. So it now has to become, you know, the 30,000 foot but all of democracy is in peril messaging. Well, can, um, we in some bas- can we engage in some baseless speculation around
3: that? Because Jonathan sure. Martin had a very interesting observation there. Jonathan Martin, New York Times reporter, said, You know, everybody around increasing revolt uh, 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 among Democrats on camera, not just Bernie Sanders, but others who are saying, You know, where's the economic message from this White House? And John Martin says, Well, they don't, it's not that they don't have one, it's that this is what Biden wants to talk about. Biden wants to do the 30,000 foot perspective, he wants to be this sage. On the mountaintop, delivering the Constitution on tablets down to you, and and being this wizened figure above it all—that's what he likes to do.
1: And no, he I wants to be like a wise figure.
0: He no, it's like you go to a, the Oracle. And the Oracle figure. is like
3: you know Grandpa yeah. Simpson. You're like, what's wrong? I don't know if yeah. that's true or not, but I mean, maybe it, it's as good an expl- it's as good a theory as any. Because otherwise, this doesn't make a whole ton of sense politically.
1: Um, so. This also raises an interesting point about uh what what's gonna happen next week. So if we do go to baseless speculation about next week, um there's an interesting piece at 538 this morning. Nathaniel Rakich, their their sort of like lead political analyst, not that Nate Silver isn't their lead political analyst. He says, Look, Republicans are one uh conventional polling uh error away from a massive landslide now he also then says they're also a you know a, a simple polling error away from you know being destroyed but i don't think that's going to happen by which he means if you look at previous elections and you look at the order of battle um in previous elections particularly midterm elections the final polling numbers tend to under understate republican support by about three points pretty much across the board pretty much across the board uh that's generic ballot this that the other thing you look at go if you go to uh, if you go to uh, real clear politics and look and you look at sort of the final polling average versus the result uh it it it, it, it it's kind of a dazzling Uh, And, of course, we had this massive polling error in 2020 that people somehow seem to forget, which is that the last Washington Post poll had Biden winning by 17 in Wisconsin, you know, which he won by less than a point, that kind of thing. So um, the system, the the polling error would be just sort of like, okay, they we, you know, polls, uh, polls overstate democratic support and so republicans are probably going to republicans are now in in advantaged positions in all sorts of places they're probably going to they're probably going to blow it out
3: there was a nearly four point error across the board in generic ballot in 2020 i'd forgotten that too yeah because republicans picked up 14 seats
1: right okay so um we have this weird phenomenon where people uh there isn't quite enough despair among Democrats, because they're holding out hope, which is fine. It's about life, you know. Um, but when I say I think there isn't enough despair, I think it's a systematic problem for them, which is, I guess we've talked about this, but we haven't quite framed it this way. The media make it so that Democrats don't know when the, when the things that they're doing are taking a turn against them because the media protect them. And I don't know how you change this. I don't know what the circumstances are. This has now become systemically bad for them. They get no warning signals. They get and they believe, they like the way we like to listen to people who we agree with, you know. They, They like the New York Times. We don't like the New York Times. We read it, we're literate, but we don't like it. But they like it. So if the New York Times coverage tends to say they're really doing this or that or the other thing they believe it and it's really becoming a very destructive force for them politically in a way that it always was but now for some reason it's way 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 worse and i don't really understand why it's like a marketplace when you distort the marketplace
3: you don't get the proper signals from prices that tell you exactly what people right. want and what yeah. they're willing to pay for and where shortages yeah. are and where supplies need to, that, that's, that's a functioning market. It's just, it's just a set of signals that help you understand the world around you. Right. But look, it's a marketplace
1: and they want to distort it. That's what HR one was about. It was designed to distort the market of free that's speech. That's the voting, right? That was the, the the voting, the new voting rights act. So well, here, it's,
0: it's, it's the same yeah, reason, ahead. by the way, that you, if you're, if you're a student in journalism school or a student in any of the social sciences, you will learn uh, about the far right constantly and very little about anything labeled the far left even though right. both exist and long have existed in american history and there's a there's a way that we talk about extremism that ha- doesn't give people a language for acknowledging that it can occur on the left far left side of the aisle as well
1: okay so we've spent the year talking about inflation and the, you know all of that okay so kristen Soltis anderson put up a fantastic image that it's very simple like it's not uh and we've alluded to this but i mean it's so stark if you look at it it's her tweet you can search for it on twitter or you can just do this which is look at biden's the the graph of biden's approval rating as president the last day that biden was over 50 percent in his approval rating was the day that we pulled out of Afghanistan. He never recovered from that. The gap opened, and it stayed there. And we've been talking about all of this. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's not about inflation. Maybe it's not about you know. I mean, in a weird way.
2: But from that, yeah, that graph, um, he was on his way anyway. It wasn't. It wasn't like um, Afghanistan happened and. Suddenly um shook up uh, uh uh the trend. But the trend, but he was but he was never higher than like 54.
1: Yeah. So he may have been heading down, but it was like within the margin of error that he was heading down, essentially, you know, like 50. What's the difference between 54 and 50? It's not that much. The classic rule of thumb is if you're over 50, you're in good shape. And if you're below 50, you're in not such good shape. And if you get below 45, things are starting to get hanky. But Um, The Biden presidency has been a failure on on so many fronts, but the hinge moment of his presidency
2: appears to have been the
1: pull out of
2: Afghanistan. I I believe that because I also think he took a very personal hit on on that failure because aside from just the travesty and and, and, uh, uh, the loss of American lives, unnecessary loss of American lives and what it says about American power. Um, and 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 all the foreign policy consequences. I think it was it was when a lot of people said, "Oh wait, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing," and and he's lying about it every day. Um, and th- that sort of became the the template for his presidency in a sense.
0: The hundred Americans problem, right? Yep. Well,
2: there, there was
1: also <laughs> the there will be no helicopter flying. Off the roof of the U.S. embassy, the way there was. Well, and
0: remember the woke Taliban moment. There was this like, we're going to work with the Taliban, and they they've promised us that girls will be allowed to continue to go to school. Guess who's not going to school in Afghanistan right now? Girls, half of the population.
3: I mean, it's not as though Americans are. If you asked Americans in a poll, would they say Afghanistan registers? No, but it was a hinge moment in the presidency. And so far as Americans do care about foreign policy. In two conditions. One where there's a national humiliation abroad, and two, a conflict that produces body bags, dead American soldiers. This was both of those. National humili- humiliation paired with 13 dead Americans in a shambolic operation that should never have occurred. So yeah, it's background radiation. Like the virus is background radiation. It's not something that anybody's gonna say is top of mind, that horrible phrase that we all say now, <laughs> because Corinne <laughs> Jumpier introduced it into the national conversation. But it is. In the back of their minds, to the extent that they think that the Biden
1: presidency is a failed presidency, that's where it began. I just think, you know, the whole point is that that uh, w- when you have a, a, uh, a leader who makes a, a, a gigantic blunder and everybody says, oh, it was his doing. So that, of course, if it had gone the way he had wanted it to go, it would have been a transformational moment for his presidency in, in, in the other direction. It would have sort of discredited Republican skepticism about him. And it would have discredited in some sense, the arguments that had been made against doing something like pulling out of Afghanistan for the past decade, it would have been, no, he was right and everybody else was wrong. And he's probably right about a lot of other things too. And even Republicans who hated him or "Eh, there's negative partisanship and all of that would have been, you know, kind of like stymied into silence or grudging acquiescence or something like that at this success. So, you know, it, it, he owned it one way or the other, he owned it. And then in, in the way that we, it colors everything is that um, you get a feeling for what's going on in the 10 days after the pullout from Afghanistan, when you're just watching the news and that feeling, it's like, what's going on here? Every No one's This is terrible and, you know, a terrible mistake has been made. And then every time something happens in the country and every time you pass by the gas station and the prices are going up, there's a kind of unconscious evocation of that feeling that you had watching the helicopters, you know, watching the scenes of people desperately trying to get onto the airfield to get out of Afghanistan without knowing it. You just you just reminded the button is put, the bruises the bruises brushed against, and uh, that there was never a chance because there was never any success except partisan success like passing bills with fifty senators and Kamala Harris's vote. There was never any success. That would have acted as a bandage, you know, they would have acted as a bandage over the bruise and the bruise could have healed and then people would have forgotten it because they would have moved on like everything that happened since has been a kind of unconscious echo of the, he said it was going to be transitory and it wasn't transitory well that might not have been quite as bad. If it hadn't been, we're going to pull out and it's going to be fantastic. And, you know, everything's going to be great. Uh, The government's not going to fall. And, you know, and then, of course, he does that thing where he gets mad at people. He gets mad at the world when it doesn't do what would be what would be convenient for him. Right. He got mad at um, at the I can't remember his name, the leader of Afghanistan. Who bolted. Uh, It's like, really? yeah yeah i mean really you're you're mad at him like what did you expect like you know you're mad at the oil companies because um prices went up what did you expect you're mad at transitory you know what are you talking about like you're you're like you are old man waving at cloud here like this is what this is what happens so he doesn't handle it well either um okay so uh we are, I guess, is it five days? Five days from the election. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm springing something on you guys. So if you don't really have an answer, it's fine. Can, can anybody, can people name a race that they will look at that will say to them on Tuesday night that will say to them, man, this is this is a wave, or a race where they'll say, uh-oh, there's no wave.
0: Better been Oz.
1: Okay, but here's the such interesting a thing weird Fetterman, thing: we yeah. may not have a result in Federovnas until four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, Pennsylvania so I... works in reverse. Here's why it works in reverse, just so people know. So, in Pennsylvania, the early vote is heavily democratic. The day uh, uh is wildly heavily democratic. It can't it cannot be counted until after the polls are closed because they have to spend the day verifying the mail in and early vote, and so it really will not be clear who wins. Whereas in a lot of States you have this phenomenon where you have the early vote counted. And then the day of vote, the election, the election day vote is heavily Republican. And so it looks like Democrats are ahead and then or anyway, my first um, in the last three wave elections, 14,
3: 18. And uh, to this one uh, it's New Hampshire's first district, New Hampshire's first district. Counts votes pretty fast. It's usually very competitive. Uh, for like a decade, it swung back and forth between the same two Republican and Democrats, um, both of whom are out of the out of the um, <clears throat> uh, political game now. But there's a very young uh, Trumpy uh, candidate, a young lady um, whose name I forget. Oh, Coraline Caroline. Leavitt. Leavitt. Caroline Levitt. Thank you. Um, who uh, defeated a more conventional Republican in the primary and was left for dead. And she seems to be creeping back up in the polls in a very competitive way between that and New York first, um, which is the very uh, tip of Long Island. um, I think those are my indications that we're going to have a way if they if if we get a result there relatively quickly, I think that's
1: that's a way result. Um, I'm going to look at, oddly enough, because it's early Florida um because because i think florida closes at seven or half of it closes at seven half of it closes at eight. i can't remember the because the panhandle has a different closing time than the rest of the state or something anyway but it's early and um if desantis and rubio rubio in particular if rubio wins by double digits that's going to mean that this is this is a wave election uh, DeSantis may win by double digits. I don't think that means a wave, though. It's a indicative of a wave. But but if Rubio wins by double digits, I think, I think we're in a wave situation because it will mean Democrats will have been depressed and Republicans will have been energized simultaneously. And that will be reflective not only there, but in all kinds of other places. And then also talking about New Hampshire, if Baldick, the Republican candidate, who is a terrible, terrible candidate, by the way. I mean, I watched one of the he had a debate the other uh, chris christy mentioned he had a debate i think last night but i mean they had one last week and i mean he, he was awful i mean he was awful like ignorant very unimpressive let me just say and um if he if he if he prevails uh Huge. That's a wave. There's also a couple of races in New Jersey.
3: Uh, One in my district in the seventh, where Tom Milanowski is the Democratic incumbent. He's on the bubble. And if Tom Keene wins early, that's definitely a wave. There's also New Jersey fifth and New Jersey 11th, which are way outside the spectrum. They should not be competitive. If they are, it's competitive everywhere.
1: Yeah. Now, when New Jersey closes at nine, because New York closes at nine. No, that's too early. That's too late.
3: I want to say seven.
1: Or really okay I, mean. I think i'm pretty sure new york closes at nine and there are three or four house races aside from the gubernatorial race which really will be the sign of a wave if lee zeldon wins that means you that won't Republican know that though for how long i
3: mean it'll take weeks it's not going to be a blowout it'll be a right. close race. no no but
1: no but there are there are three particular house races you mentioned new york one but there's also the race in which the uh sean patrick maloney the um The uh, head of the uh, Congressional Campaign Committee uh, is uh, in 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 desperately bad shape. If he loses, just batten down the hatches because it's going to be. And he he may well. I mean, it's just that's not just a local event. So anyway, uh, there's Carl Rove has a good column on this in the Wall Street Journal. By the way, how what what he's going to watch as the as the evening as the evening. We need Abe's prediction.
2: Oh, I don't have any because (laughs) really because. I remember 2018 um, and sort of not knowing whether or not to call it a wave for weeks as, as, as Noah says. Well,
1: 2018 was interesting because of course, James Carville looked famously was on MSNBC or something and said, we screwed up. We blew it. It's terrible. Uh, But then this thing happened in California. It took weeks because the, the, the sort of the, uh, the vote harvesting took weeks and now Republicans are vote harvesting. there, just like Democrats. And that advantage has been totally, totally yeah. uh, wiped away. But it is true that everybody needs to remain calm in the early couple of yeah. hours because the indications, although a real wave, and that wasn't, this would be a different kind of thing, a real wave, that was 40 seats and don't, it wasn't not a wave. That was a wave, but, um, but it was this sort of slow rolling one that had a weird pattern uh, in a real wave, and this is stuff that won't come up early, you know, Tiffany Smiley might win in the Senate race in Washington. Joe O'Day might win in the Colorado Senate race. That's where it's really a wave. That's where it's where the Republicans in the Senate get to 54, 55, if there is a total Democratic meltdown. But that we won't know until, you know, after midnight or something. Okay, I have to sneeze. Them. sorry i only said that because i was hoping i could get this out before i sneezed and i now i could do it longer but uh we will be back tomorrow with uh special guest jamie Kirchick so for a christina no i'm john Pod hortz keep the candle burning